Our mindset is one of the biggest determiners of our success and is perhaps the biggest determiner of whether or not we achieve our dreams and ambitions. I'm Wayne Alexander. And I'm Sarah Moore. And this is Ambition Unleashed. In each episode of this podcast, we're going to explore a different mindset shift to consider making if you want to identify and achieve your biggest, boldest, most breakthrough ambitions. In this episode of Ambition Unleashed, preserving identity to decoupling identity, we are exploring the difference between seeing ourselves as our identity versus simply having an identity. Because if we are our identity, we need to preserve it to survive instead of playing full out. Do you find yourself deliberating when thinking about your goals, ambitions, career choices, or receiving your annual objectives at work? Can I do this? Should I take this on? Is it beyond me? Perhaps telling yourself you're not knowledgeable enough or experienced in the right things. Are you limiting yourself to the boundaries of your identity? The title of this episode sounds like something Gwyneth and Chris would once have put on a statement to a newspaper. (laughs) From preserving identity to decoupling identity. What does it mean? It might be wordy, but it is a shift that creates freedom of action, charisma and impact. So let's get into it. In the brilliant 1994 film Forrest Gump, we follow Forrest on his life's journey and we see who he is in relation to the situations and circumstances that happen to him and around him. And a theme that leaps from the screen is how Forrest does what Forrest does, whether running, famously, or football, or table tennis, war, shrimping, his great love for Jenny so wholeheartedly and fully committed that others around him can't help but become part of his adventures. His actions are rarely about him, but he attracts many people to him, including us as an audience. He always stays himself. The title of the film is simply his name, Forrest Gump. But being himself doesn't stop him playing full out in multiple scenarios where he has no expertise but throws himself in anyway. It speaks to the essence of charisma and what's also happening in this shift, which is what shows up when someone speaks and acts in a way that is more about whatever they're committed to, not their identity. It's not about identity preservation and protection. It's about being all in for the commitment that we are. We've talked about commitment and declaration in an earlier podcast with Neil Rogers. Shortly before dying, Mrs Gump, Forrest's mother, tells him, well, I happen to believe you make your own destiny. You have to do the best with what God gave you. And her son Forrest asks her, what is my destiny? And she replies that he would have to figure it out for himself. That question, what is my destiny? What am I here for? What should I be doing now? What is being asked of me? We've all asked it, or a version of it, many times. Or, as Bob Anderson said when we interviewed him in July's episode, what must I be about in this life in order to live the life I came here to live and not somebody else's life? And many factors will affect our answer to that question. Our relationships to other people, our responsibilities and what others depend on us for, how I want to use the capabilities I have, what ambition I hold. At the heart of this mindset shift is that an access point to that answer is to focus on what you are truly deeply committed to in this moment, rather than preserving an attachment to some kind of identity. 
And in that will lie a freedom to be yourself, authentic, and also be truly open and responsive to the new situations around you, not limited by preserving our image and identity. That there is more power in continually tuning into what am I here for and taking action from that rather than who am I? In his best-selling book, The Upswing, American political scientist Robert Putnam points out a remarkable difference in how a question was answered by students in the 1950s compared to the students in the 1990s. They were asked, do you agree with the following statement, I am a very important person? In the 1950s, 12% of the students agreed. By the 1990s, 80% had agreed. Putnam is using this as one piece of evidence to describe a pendulum swing that we might summarise as we to me, or community to individualism, and argues today there is increased occurrences of excessive interest in or admiration of ourselves, self-absorption, self-centeredness and so on. Forrest is onto something when he says, I'm not a smart man but I know what love is. He has a sense of himself, he recognises his IQ is low, but what he knows deeply is love and commitment that I think is at the root of his ability to not be limited by identity, but free to live fully in the moment. That's lovely, Wayne. Yeah, I agree. To go deeper into this profound shift, we interviewed our friend and coach, Liberto Pereira, who is Managing Director of the Leadership Circle in Europe and also founder and facilitator at the consultancy Canvio, working with clients all over the world. Liberto has said, we believe in people, all the people, and a world based on trust and personal power, where challenges are references and not obstacles, where we use diversity to grow and change our reality from the self. In each of us, there is that creativity, power, wisdom, and courage. In his work partnering Bob Anderson with the Leadership Circle, who we heard in July's episode, he masterfully empowers leaders to become aware of when they are acting to preserve and keep safe their identity, rather than be free to go beyond and act from their full purpose. And in this episode, we will unpack how two profiles of human consciousness, reactive and creative, play such a decisive role in all our lives and where we have choice. Welcome, Liberto, to our podcast. It's really great to have you here. We wondered if you would start off by telling us um, a little bit about yourself, perhaps the leadership circle in a nutshell, and in particular, any sort of aha moments that you have had along the way to where you are today. Uh, I was born very curious. For whatever reason, I was meant to be exploring life in many dimensions being curious about things, especially the unexpected. And one of those unexpected was Leadership Circle. I was doing a training in London back in 2007. And uh, one of the participants happened to be Paul Matthews, who was about to introduce Leadership Circle in Europe. And he took the roster from that training and sent out the invitation for the first certification of the Leadership Circle in Europe. And following my curiosity, I decided to join and got certified in the leadership circle. And that was kind of one of the aha moments for me. I was having the privilege of being uh, debriefed by Bob Anderson, the founder of the leadership circle. 
And uh, in that moment, I realized that the identity I was holding for myself was missing many elements. And this took me into another path of, of discovery. And about leadership circle, to me, is the simplest artifact to engage in transformational conversations, whether at the individual level or at the collective. And uh, easily helping leaders realize to what extent they are moving towards what they really want, or they are moving away from what they don't want, which makes a difference in leadership effectiveness. So that was one of the Mayaha moments. And maybe another one that comes is almost six years ago, when my first biological grandchildren was born, my perspective on leadership development began to shift as well. <laughs> I began obs observing how kids develop in a natural, organic way. And I connected with some deep insights around how would it be to help leaders develop in the same organic way. Wonderful stories. I love those aha moments. They happen to a lot of people along the way. But what is it about the tool? You said it's the simplest. Why is it that you have bought into that so much? What, what is it about the tool other than its simplicity? Simplicity for sure is one of the key elements, despite the fact that underneath the tool, there are a lot of research, data, very solid, robust theoretical frameworks. But the beauty of it is Bob Anderson was able to bring it all in a very simple graph in which immediately I was able to see what my impact as a leader was, why I was having that impact, and how could I change, evolve to improve my impact and make it more meaningful. I want to jump straight in and ask you, you know, in order for us to get our arms around this shift, you know, uh, this powerful shift, can you share with us what identity is, you know, and how, how do you define it uh, and what it really means to you? Yes, I, I love the, the topic of the, this conversation because it brings to me one of the most powerful paradoxes that we humans keep exploring all the time. On the one hand, we feel this calling to expand and evolve following this urge to find the answer to that question, who I am, which is pointing to identity. So we are seeking for identity. And at the same time, there is the longing to identify with a certain identity. That's a very powerful paradox, which to me is what drives human development in a sense. Who am I? Immediately brings the question, who am not? So therefore, identity can be seen from different perspectives. From one perspective, it is what's not changing at all, the source of our essence, of who we are, what we bring uniquely compared to other people. And from another perspective, in that path, in that journey of discovery, identity is what gets us stuck in our path towards that essence. I see this as highly relevant because realizing those moments of stuckness are key for achieving what we want to achieve. We are dreamer machines, 
we always look for something better for ourselves, for our families, for our teams, organizations, for society. But in order to make that happen, we need to engage in the conversation that is going on. Organizations are conversations. So the quality of the conversation is going to determine what happens. So if I join the conversation with a sense of attachment to a certain identity, I'm going to participate in that conversation from a pace of uh, limit. And because of that, the conversation is going to go in a certain direction. So this is why realizing and exploring more the identity can help us uh, expand the way we join conversations. Can that attachment to identity be personal, but also organizational or like a, like a hobby or something like that? Yes, anything can be. I remember when I got my, uh, my first, for the first time I got this managing director role back in 2004, that was a role I was longing for. I had been working hard to get promoted and find myself on the top of that organization. So I was holding my identity associated to that role. I remember when I got into the new, brand new office, getting my new company car and sitting on that desk for the first time as a managing director, feeling a sense of emptiness and asking myself, is that all? So absolutely, identity can be projected into into anything. This is why it's important to, to pay attention every time we say, I am X. Because every time I say, I am X, I am a managing director, I am a father, I am projecting my identity out there to others. Therefore, others are going to talk to me based on what I have projected. And I can see this polarization, this paradox, because we're in a world where we feel we need to put a statement like that in the world about who we are, bring our expertise, say who we are, show up, you know, all those sort of things. But at the same time, yeah, longing to have make this difference and, and the two things uh, really polarized. We are learning to be at peace with polarities. That's a whole topic in itself, I think. Yes. Yeah, Liberto, when you were speaking about how organizations are conversations and so we how we're attached to our identity will affect how we show up in the conversation of the organization i there's a phenomenon i see in a number of folks that 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 i coach um where from any external reference point of validation they are they are the best (laughs) they really are the they are the elite they are probably preeminent in their fields there is no more in that sense to be done. And yet, when uh, things occur in the organization, like uh, a restructuring, where their job isn't under threat, but maybe how they can influence, or when maybe governance is changing, so how decisions are made, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, uh, how they show up, despite their seniority, despite what they've got already, is actually something's at risk to me. 
I, I need to preserve my identity. And, and often the ripple effects of that in their teams is almost that they start to show up that way in the conversation in the organization as well. What's, and I say this with no judgment, uh, but what's really going on there, do you think, in, in folks who've got nothing to prove? <laughs> and yet uh, there's something about their identity at risk and at stake there. Wow, this question takes me into, into, into the very large context and also into the very practical one. Just imagine asking that question to the universe. If you are the best in what you are doing, you don't need anything to prove. But then into a practical level, to me what's going on is that we are not comfortable with uncertainty. And through our identity, we develop ourselves in careers to become experts, to become gurus, to become highly uh, skilled professionals. And because of the, the rest of the world seeing us as gurus, experts, uh, nothing to prove, we feel a space of certainty, which brings us uh, peace, calm, and safety. And it's okay to feel safe. And whenever we are confronted, as you described, through uh, that transformational process, we always come to this place of being interrupted in our path. Based on that certainty that I learned in my last break, in my last disruption, I took on a path of certainty. I am the managing director. I am whatever. But because we are far beyond what we think we are, sooner or later, we are confronted with these moments of interruption in which something unexpected, a transformation in the company, being fired, reading a book, meeting someone, many forms of the unexpected come to us saying, are you sure this is the path you want to walk? We can then deny it or we can embrace it. If we deny it, sooner or later, another interruption is going to come until we finally embrace it. And in that moment of embracing the interruption, we find the clearing. We find the space for contemplation, for pausing and getting new insights. And through these new insights, this new certainty, we then can walk a new path of growth and development. So, Setting the context for leaders to realize that we are in a path based on certainty might be really helpful so they can embrace it in not denying it. And this is very natural and it's going to happen once and again until we learn the lesson. Trial and error is the way the universe operates. And I think you're, you're right, Liberto. Yeah, that certainty people crave for and are building themselves up to being sort of has them be resolute and you can't support people like that. You know, we call them learners or knowers, you know, the, the, the knowers. And it's not until they get that disruption that people perhaps are more open to support or more open to that curiosity and that discovering innovation and discovering new things about. And uh, I think that shows up quite a lot in, in organizations. And, and it's important uh, to normalize that situation 
because in those moments, leaders, we find ourselves just sitting in the tension between preserving identity and decoupling into a, an evolved identity. And that's the tension that helps us grow. And preservation is also important. You know, in, in the etymology, identity means basically the same. And the same speaks of the essence that is never changing from my perspective. So that essence seeks for preservation. And at the same time, our external expression of that essence that is often limited by, by beliefs, assumptions, and our sense of identity keep us trying to move away from the essence. But in reality, what we are working is towards the essence to remember. So that essence is holding to me the energy of preservation and the longing to become more is holding the energy of change, innovation, evolution. And that's a beautiful, powerful tension. In your experience, Liberto, what are the different ways as an observer that if we are with someone, it could be a family member or a team member, what are some of the ways that that preservation can show up? Yeah, it can show up in uh, many two ways. One is the, the healthy way and the other one would be the distorted one. In the healthy way, often comes in the voice of uh, in the family settings, that voice that is always telling, hey guys, we need to have a dinner. We need to have a, a monthly dinner because we are a family coming together. So preserving the family and the identity of its members. And in that distorted way, it can be showing up as what we call resistance to change. And often in my experience, the voices in the system holding the role of resistance Actually, what they are saying is, guys, there is something we do not need to change here. And again, we don't find often the, the, the channel to bring that voice in a healthy way in organizations. And so you might see somebody get over controlling um, or over critical or perhaps shrink back from something. But within all those, what you're saying is common is that there's something they don't want to change, which is winning or moving forward or... Yeah, and taking it to, to the biggest possibility, in front of change, we can be scared in front of a transformational process. And we know that we humans, when we get scared, and of course this can have different gradients of fear, our body itself invites us into three movements, whether freezing, fleeing, or fighting. And this is connected with leadership circle because we can see in the leadership circle how leaders might tend to controlling others, working hard, uh, competing, uh, being autocratic, my way or highway. But also, that would be the controlling, but also they can show up in those moments as a uh, moving away, fleeing, trying, uh, I need to think about it. I need to reflect, which is often transforming a self-protection movement. And in order to protect ourselves, we become highly critical, overly critical, or even arrogant. 
or simply distant. And then thirdly, leaders, we can also move into complying, into freezing and just following with the, what's happening without bringing our voice. It's hard not to listen to you, Liberto, and start self-analyzing. I don't know about you, Wayne. Yeah, you start self-analyzing in terms of, oh gosh, when do I fall into that category and what's my behavior when I do yeah, it? Yeah, that's me. Uh, that's me. And that's me. Yeah, brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And in, and in that sense, we hold a collective identity because we all humans have kind of the same tendencies when we confront, when we face pressure and fear. So there is something around the identity of being a human being. And Liberto, in your experience, what, what, do you, what do you do when you see this in people? You've obviously coached, supported teams and individuals. You know, what, what is it that people need in that to perhaps make, start making this shift from preserving to you know, decoupling it? to be able to, in our work, we would say the identity can't really commit to anything bold and ambitious. The identity is unable to make that commitment when you're in that, as you're saying, the reactive tendency when you're in preservation. So in order for our listeners to really think about how they can be more ambitious, we need to help them move away from this preservation. And of course, it's not always forefront of our mind. It, it can grab us very, very fast. And so, you know, in your experience, I, I don't know if there's any stories you can tell, what you do in those moments of supporting people. The first reaction to change is, I don't want to change. For example, I remember one leader I was uh, involved with in a small startup, 200 people, many years ago. And this person was really interested in the process, but there was something making him move away from the process and being distant and critical and arrogant. And I told him, you know what? This is not about changing you. This is about expanding who you think you are. So if you have been successful up until now, based on being a highly controlling, highly autocratic, highly distant, arrogant person, that's perfect. So imagine what could be possible when you, on top of this, you play with this energy, but in a more creative way, engaging more your teams, empowering more them. Just imagine what you could achieve. I think the most powerful way to help leaders is uh, being fully present and fully open. Because when we are really present and fully open as coaches, facilitators, basically we are not trying to preserve our identity as coaches, facilitators, and we are only there for the other person to take and use our uniqueness. So being present and open-minded, open heart, open will in the moment in service of the process, which transforms often into deep listening with no attachment, with no intention. That often in my experience helps leader connect with the, their own hard moments. Liberto, when you're um, speaking here, I, 
I see so much potential for freedom in the way you're describing leadership and living. I know from leadership experience in my past that you can be so conscious of your front stage, what people see, that you you can fall into kind of image management or image construction, which clearly takes a lot of energy. And, and But what I'm hearing in your words, and, and uh, I'm sure our audiences as well, it's the energy is not about image construction or even how I'm occurring to others, but actually being present, being open, being curious, being a learner, being yourself, you know, all these things that are thrown around. But but in that, there's a, a resting, a presence, a peace. That, that's what I'm hearing in what you're saying, Roberto. Is that is that fair? Yeah, totally, Wayne. In the relationship with uh, our clients, there is a, a polarity at play all the time. In one pole, we have freedom. And on the other one, you have responsibility. And this tension between freedom and responsibility that we often tend to privilege the responsibility side. I need to ask right questions. I need to bring the right exercises. I need to do this this way. I need to deliver my client. I need to really help him or her evolve. It's going against our freedom. And if we privilege only the freedom, then we forget about our responsibility. I can certainly relate to that as a as a coach where standing in the clearing, as you say, with that deep listening that allows you to ask the questions without being hooked on the answer. We don't have to provide the answers. You know, that's a fundamental, isn't it, with coaching and support? That, that was a very heavy uh, load that I carry when I was uh, aiming to become a managing director because one of the assumptions, the pieces of identity I was attached to was, I have to have all the answers. And that was pretty heavy because of course I didn't know all the answers, but people were expecting from me having all the answers. Anything that becomes a pattern, whether attachment to an identity in this case or anything else, must be challenged, must be questioned. I also remember my first times in coaching, having my, my templates beside me to be uh, ensured that I was following the, 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 the right way. Yeah, what's striking me, Liberto, is that one of the passions for this podcast is that we think the world needs breakthroughs. There are some, some significant challenges and opportunities that are in our world, uh, around the world at the moment. And we need leaders or people who are up for it to have that deep listening and curiosity and openness, even if they've got years and years and years of expertise behind them. But then there's the contagious effect of if the leader hierarchically shows up that way, then then their organisation or their team is more likely to be free to show up emerging and curious and open and so on. And so I'm I'm hearing in your description of freedom and responsibility what the world needs, if that doesn't sound too highfalutin, but but actually um, the freedom to answer some of the world's biggest or meet some of the world's biggest challenges at the moment. Absolutely. And as I like to say, the biggest breakthroughs lie in the exploration of what's not changing. Because we are very good in changing what's changing, because there are many things changing all the time, very fast. 
but what are the things that are not changing? Actually, for example, what does it take to be an expert in any domain? Accumulating knowledge, accumulating experience, which is about taking. So thinking about my, myself, driven my, by my own sense of identity. So I need more, I need more, I need more, I need more. Whereas knowledge only becomes wisdom when we give it. So one of the things that to me needs to evolve in organizations and in many aspects, both public and corporate and private and public, is moving from this paradigm of what's in it for me because of my sense of identity into what is it that I have that you need? Because if not, we are stuck into the I-eat relationship. I see the client as an object, as a need that is there to fulfill my needs. So I'm not relating actually with another human, but with an object, as opposed to the I-do relationship in which I'm very curious about the other, about what is sacred about the other person, even what is divine on the other person. And in that exploration, what matters is not either me or him or her, but the space in between. And in that space in between, when we sh just by shifting this perspective, fantastic breakthroughs occur. Because then we connect not only with the individual power of creation, creative power, but also with the creative power of the universe. So moving from taking to giving and bringing more balance into that other polarity. And you're describing there like um, a, a real commitment to others, a real commitment to service and, you know, community, team, organization that a leader needs to make. Yeah, because at the end of the day, we are all unique, right? So life is not seeking efficiency. Why? Because if life was looking for efficiency, the most efficient solution would be a single solution, which is one type of man and one type of woman. That's more efficient. We would all be the same. But life is making us unique. Is this uniqueness meant to be focused on me or in others and bringing that uniqueness to the world, to others? So our uniqueness is needed, everyone's, in any, uh, in any idol relationship. You're creating such a bigger context, uh, Liberto, for what's often almost simplified, helpfully, to be task or people. You know, am I a leader that's focused on tasks and results and outcomes or am I a leader that cares about people and their, you know, what they did at the weekend and what their favourite hobbies are? But that, although that gives us access to that in both important points, actually you're creating, in my mind, a much bigger space for those aspects, but in a way that uh, would help the collective to create results they didn't think were possible, actually. Well, we have been embarked 
on a path collectively of finding the single solution for the biggest problems. So now there are many people, few people who say they claim that they have their solution for what's happening in the planet. They have, very, have it very clear. This is the solution for climate change. You need to stop eating meat. This is the solution for this. This is the solution for that. But what if there was no single solution for anything? What if there was not even solution? So yes, I, I am aware that my, I always tend to expand the context, to bring a, a bigger picture context, but I, I think it's needed in this time because the, the old way of facing problems is not gonna help us navigate those problems. So we need different way of seeing. So maybe moving from thinking to seeing is one of the shifts needed. And that speaks a lot about identity because most leaders in top positions, when under pressure, they tend to be domineer, they tend to be autocratic, they tend to be critical, they tend to be controlling. And this kind of leadership looks for single solutions. And you definitely see that, Liberto, when teams, organizations are under stress you know, and they're looking for what is the one thing that's going to help them recover or help them regain that winning position or that market share that they lost. And you can see the whole organization get frustrated with the priorities changing and, you know, what is, what is the goal? And there's a huge, you know, disruption and frustration in organizations for it. But it does have its place because in order to expand, you've got to have the capacity to be able to hold all that complexity and not just drill it down to what's the one thing? What's what's the objective you want me to deliver that will you know make everything better? Yeah. Just imagine the amount of pressure that is put on the shoulders of CEOs and high-level executives in front of a crisis. The level of pressure is, is paramount in the sense that you have six months to fix this. And this is not going, of course, there is a need to, to solve it. And I, I don't want to diminish that need. But at the same time, when we put pressure, we humans tend to collapse. And under pressure, unless we are well-trained, this collapsing under pressure triggers our flee, freeze, fight response. So we move immediately into the reactive mind, which is about getting rid of the problem as opposed to, okay, what's our vision? What's our purpose? Even in the worst of the circumstances. So, Liberto, um, you know, for a lot of people at home or listening to this uh, podcast, I can hear, you know, talking to friends and, and family members them saying, oh, no, I, I'm not creative. I'm not a creative person. I couldn't start my own business or I'm too shy or not confident enough. You know, may, maybe when I've got a bit more money in, in the bank, you know, then, then it will feel less scary for me or I'm not ca charismatic enough. You know, I'm not going to be able to uh, influence people to come and join me on my mission. Um, so there, you know, very at the core of an individual is uh, perhaps their identity. W what would you say to these people 
perhaps about how they, you know, can get beyond that, really, beyond feeling that way about themselves. Yeah, you're pointing to people who actually call themselves as victims of the circumstances, of their resources, of other people. Because every time I say to myself, I cannot do this, this is too uh, ex uh, expensive. Every time we deny our heart impulses, we are falling into this victimhood place when we limit ourselves through those levels of thinking. And honestly, what if you, listener, as an individual, are part of an organization called family that also connects with another piece of part of the organization with its friends and relatives, another which is your neighborhoods and community, then your work, and then eventually humanity and beyond into other realms. So the very same things I've been saying for corporations, it's valid for an individual. And it's about the, the, the choice of how do you want to bring your uniqueness? We are all meant to do so. We all have a unique gift that nobody else can offer. Yes, I, I understand myself. I often got, get into fear, but then someone else comes, something unexpected comes, interrupting also again my way of thinking on things and asking for what I carry. So being aware of these interruptions and embracing them following the heart. If your heart speaks to you, I want to create this company. I want to start up a business. I want to start up a not-for-profit. I really want to create a family event gathering everyone from the family from around the world. Any of your ambitious projects, if this is what your heart tells you, go for it. Because in thinking that you cannot do it, that you don't have the resources, etc., is only preventing you from living to your fullest. Yeah, we, we have an expression, Liberto, called being in the world. You know, you can't separate who you're being, you know, your relationship and what's going on in the world. Um, it might be a distanced being, you know, and causing that separation, but that that is what's present. And you're making me really think about, you know, who are we being in our communities? Who are we being for the people, our neighbours and, and who we're next to? Because we can be in that reactive and keeping ourselves to ourselves, you know, from the fear of rejection about um, doing, doing something that we're passionate about. And this is the way we experienced life 30, 40 years ago. We were not doing Zooms and things like that. Yes. And, and Liberta, you said a phrase there that I can see it's full of so much meaning. And whereas many of us, whether it's through internet, social media, education, whatever, look externally for what should I be doing? How should I be showing up? You talked about, I think you said heart impulse. You know, if I, if I feel led by my heart, which I'm excited about, Liberta, because I think everyone listening to this podcast can have that conversation with themselves. 
Is there any any advice or, or wisdom you would give to our listeners when there is so many interruptions or, or little voices that might kill it quickly? Where could they go with that conversation with themselves? Yeah, the, a conversation that even if we are not aware of, is happening all the time with the self. And I would say validate what is, be alert for the unexpected to come, and then co-create with the unexpected. That's a, a formula that often brings uh, amazing results. Because, you know, if we focus on what we expect to happen, we are cutting ourselves from the awe and the surprising factor of life. And, and this relates a lot to our sense of identity. But if we really allow the unexpected, and the unexpected can be something simple like, uh, wow, I haven't heard from this person for a while, and today he wrote me an email. That's unexpected. Or we are walking by the street and something or someone unexpected happens. I remember once I was driving my car in, in Barcelona city and my name Liberto is not very common in Spain. And uh, I was driving and I, was, I, I saw a hairdresser named Liberto, the shop. So, wow, that was unexpected. I stopped my car. I went into the shop, say, I'm not here to cut my hair. I'm here just because you and me, we share the name. What is it for you to be a Liberto? And that created a beautiful conversation that was very insightful. That kind of unexpected, that's to me following the heart. Because if we follow the expected, we are following the fear. And that's a real demonstration, Liberto, of where you started this conversation. I was born curious yeah, to, to even have that question in your mind. And you can feel the creativity and the freedom of seeing what would happen if you even to entertain that conversation about how other Libertos have experienced their life and what could have been for you. You know, you can feel the creativity. No, the, the other thing that was coming to me, it's uh, every time we face whether the expected or the unexpected, instead of asking ourselves the question, what is it? And then looking into accepting, appreciating uh, what is, immediately move beyond that acceptance and ask yourself the question, what could it be? See it as an opportunity to ask myself the question and explore a new piece of identity for yourself in that unexpected space. I can resonate with this personally, Wayne Liberto, you know, being a woman, although I'm, I'm not sure it's that different if you are a man, but, you know, as a woman, there's a little voice in the back of my head constantly of not being good enough. I haven't got the confidence. Can I really do this? And I had a, a huge dawning moment with a, a coach probably about five years ago that says you can have a lack of confidence but you don't need to be a lack of confidence you know and be consumed with the being lack of confidence which is the consuming of the identity that debilitates us 
saying, doing, you know, and and bringing about these ambitions that we have. And rather, it was okay. It's okay. That, and um, I'm saying this because you're your process, validate it, accept it, and what could be. It's like, okay, sometimes I have a lack of confidence. Who doesn't? You know, the chief executive of all these big companies or the the, uh, grandmother of the biggest family, you know, they, they also have a lack of confidence and don't know the answers. But it's just in being able to accept that and then be curious and get into the possibility of what could be possible here. Uh, for yourself, which I I really like and it really resonates with me. And this is this is actually how kids ki- kids grow. Yeah. By being curious on what could be. Yes, lovely. Just building on what you said, Sarah. Uh, there was a moment in my life a number of years ago, Liberto, where my identity was really challenged. What I'd built my identity around, and in that space of my life it left me with with some significant challenges and and also regrets and i remember having a, a conversation with a with a coach and they shared with me that actually there's a space that you can step into now which is even greater self acceptance and maybe that is one of the greatest lessons that you could be to others than you've ever lived before, which really shifted my my identity or my sense of the identity that I'd constructed into a new space. And actually that stayed with me, being self-acceptance. It, it, it wavers and wanes, but being self-acceptance rather than not being what I thought I was anymore. But I'm hearing it's a, a moment of an evolutionary leap for you. That coach uh, held you in a in a place of possibility and love, with no judgment to your sense of identity at that moment. But like in football, he passed you the ball in a different space of the field, so you needed to play midfield instead of defense. And in that move of passing you the ball into a new space, you discovered that you could also play in the midfield, not only in the defense. That's, to me, the art of uh, accompanying people, passing the ball to them in, into new spaces. That's right. And I, I, and I, I share that story because I know that there will be listeners who, who they might be in a, in a season of, of real identity deconstruction or challenge and it might have come because of a a hard interruption you've been speaking about interruptions liberto something they wouldn't have planned or something they wouldn't have expected and yet i share that story to hang in there because there can be that shift in thinking that that does take you into midfield (laughs) i prefer i prefer scoring the goals actually liberto so i prefer playing up front but you know (laughs) (laughs) okay so look Liberto, we've talked about sort of embracing these very difficult polarities and the fear around those. How would people really get their arms around that and start to embrace living with that fear and that tension that you describe? Sitting in a circle, finding people who are going through the same situation, sitting with them, have a conversation about your own fear, 
is going to bring you the realization that you are not the only one in the world holding that fear. And that would bring into the conversation, into that tension between fear, safety, and purpose, or taking and giving, this would eventually emerge a third element in the polarity. Polarities, to me, is, are a limited way of looking at reality. There is always a third element at play. And when we sit together with other people, even with opposite perspectives, and we share openly, then trust keeps building. And that trust keeps building, help us navigate together towards more higher truth, if you want. So anytime you find yourself in face of a polarity, write it down and put it in front of you and look at it. Okay, I'm seeing a polarity, but I am not the polarity. Therefore, if I'm not the polarity, what's my position in regards to that polarity? Yes, and you can see that when people have conversations with friends and share their problems, that we don't need those problems solved, but it's actually the talking about it, the sharing of it, the, the seeing that we all have the similar common issues. What you're saying is that in the growing of that understanding, we can gain pers different perspective that we perhaps wouldn't gain on ourselves around all these com complex things without looking for a single solution. It's not about finding that single solution. It's just about increasing our perspective, understanding, and even then sitting in there is no solution at the moment. And that's okay. Meeting the other, having conversation, being aware of how do I enter the conversation. When I am an expert, I am entering the conversation as an expert or I am entering the conversation as a learner. This would drive the conversation in totally different opposite directions. If I enter as the expert, then people will look at me as the expert, asking me questions and me responding. As opposed to, I'm also here to learn. And I think there's a great move in what you've just described, Liberto, because what a shadow side of what we see around and we might feel tempted to or what happens on social media and so on is we find the group that fits one of the polarities and we we stay in that echo chamber uh, uh, versus that third space or that space you described that uh, that is there to be found if we want to have eyes to see it so Thank you for that answer, Liberto. There, there's a question, Liberto, that we ask all our guests, and it's what breakthroughs do you know of currently, but it's not your own, about a person or a business or, or maybe a non-profit that is giving you excitement or hope at the moment? I'm really fascinated by an association here in Spain of about now 500 legal professionals that they are working beside their own works. They are putting themselves into, yes, we need to navigate through this pandemic and we need to stay true to our constitutions and to our human rights. So putting themselves into a space of 
making little money or no money for the sake of all of us, that's really encouraging me these days. And, uh, and this is time of breakthroughs. And it's time to connect with your deepest ambitions and go for it. Now is the time. Now is not the time for single solutions. It's not the time for easy paths. It's the time for courage and uh, personal sovereignty and personal power. So any ambition that you hold, make it happen because the time is now. I love that, Roberto. Thank you so much. A great final word. Liberto brings such a powerful perspective in his work, doesn't he, Wayne? Yeah, he really does. I especially find helpful his descriptions about the tensions we hold or paradoxes as we navigate through the complexity and deliberations about leadership. These tensions, I am sure, are within all our listeners' minds as they contemplate ambitions that feel risky and create a lot at stake for us. This is normal. The tension here regarding our identity to understand who we are, then the choice to preserve ourselves or evolve ourselves. Is it me holding this back? Am I being too controlling and risk-averse? Liberto is clear about these tensions being necessary to grow and questioning ourselves, not about changing you, but expanding you. To help distill this practically, there are four things that we'd like to underline. Number one, the meaning we add to the story of who we are. We're talking here, Sarah, about breakthroughs, us and our listeners working on their bold ambitions, things they really, really want to make happen in the world. We aren't talking about the everyday goals we set ourselves that we stretch ourselves to do and achieve and are still proud of. They're wonderful, confidence building and important. But you don't need to look at these shifts or specifically hear about identity for these. Just do what you do and apply your wonderful talents. But to go beyond that boundary and commit to something you perceive as bolder, to achieve something that the thought of which is actually quite frightening or seems impossible, we will no doubt run into these mindset challenges. Thinking from this perspective, in focusing on breakthroughs, it is useful to think of identity as an interpretation, a story about ourselves that we've gathered or were given and repeating conversations. It builds and builds, conversation by conversation. A very necessary part of human growth. After all, this is what our, our teens and early 20s are all about. But it has its limits. It's not the truth. That identity formed alone might be unable to commit to these big, bold, longing ambitions that we've all dreamt about. When deciding on what we really want, our true ambitions, we all take into account and at least consider our identity. Am I creative enough for this? Am I influential enough? A lot of us let our ambitions die at this point. The identity of I'm a shy person, or I'm not a financial person, I'm not charismatic. This story by definition has a boundary that we have a limit in what we're able to achieve. We add meaning, therefore that means I can only, I can't. And this stops us doing anything further about it. Wayne, I once met an inspiring lady when working with the Prince's Trust who wanted to start a business making healthy food based on raw ingredients because she had researched a lot about the benefits of raw food to healing skin conditions. 
But because she too had a skin condition and identified herself as someone with skin problems, she had never started this business as she thought no one would ever buy from her. She managed to see how this was stopping her and the meaning she was adding and started a business making 50000 in her first year as a side hustle. Another was a man, again in Prince's Trust, in his early 20s, who wanted to be a football coach but felt he was too young to be one. No one would employ him. You had to be older and wiser to be a coach, surely. He went on to be a football coach and smashed these assumptions. But interestingly, I nearly introduced him here as a young man and reinforced the identity he gave himself. That's the mischief. It's a story we have of ourselves that we spread to others that is then used to describe us in our absence by them. Liberto touched on this too. He said, life organisations are a set of conversations. We project our identities into the world. We tell people who we are and who we are not to manage what we take on and what we don't take on. And then others relate to this too. And then decisions are made without us. The human tendency to strive for certainty sits behind this. We're trying to pin down who am I? What am I good at? We're searching for calm and safety, peace and control. Just plain reassurance that I am good enough at this or my expertise is validated. This is where it comes from. To fix it, to manage it so that it's less complex. Especially in times of uncertainty, challenge and doubt. That's why we attach ourselves to an identity the safety-seeking is limiting. But Liberto's superb coaching was to pay attention to what we say we are and what we say we are not. Because we are far more than this, what we're defining ourselves to be. We are capable of so much more than we often believe we are. So much more we can do if we embrace the unknown, dance with ideas and be open to support from others, rather than feeling we should have all the answers. This mindset shift, like the others in our series, helps make it possible to be committed to something regardless of the identity or circumstances, evidence, history or other people who would imply or directly say it's impossible. When considering a specific ambition, what do you need to move into the uncertain? What do you really want that would help you? For example, a buddy or a mentor to work alongside you on this challenging project and be in it with you or offer accountability and coaching. Or maybe a dashboard of measurements that flag quickly when we're going off track. Or perhaps it's a way of working in place that means we face into problems quickly as soon as they're known without blame or finger pointing or burying our head in the sand. That's number one, the meaning we add to the story of who we are. So number two is about being or having our identity. And I want to share this from my own experience. A very wise coach gave me some great advice. He told me, relating to my own fear of not being good enough, Sarah, you can have a lack of confidence about something or you can be someone who doesn't have confidence. The two are fundamentally different. This was so powerful for me as I suddenly saw that I didn't have to identify as someone who wasn't good enough. I just had to acknowledge that I didn't have confidence in this particular situation. I could own my lack of confidence without it fueling all my choices and playing small as a result. I could openly tell people, I'm starting a project, but there are areas I notice I am not confident about. Will you help me? This was a game changer. The difference between being and having, 
being a confident person and having low confidence for specific things. This would be the same for someone who feels they're an expert in the field. If they are being an expert, that comes with a mindset of I have or I should have all the answers. Instead, I have expertise in this, but I'm always learning and not always right. That's number two, being or having our identity. And number three, deny or embrace life's interruptions. Another clear point to underline is on these paths of transformation or pursuing our ambitions, we will have interruptions. We know it won't be smooth sailing. It's not supposed to be. But there are specific interruptions that challenge our identity and cause us to think, given what I know about myself, can I do this? Am I strong enough? What can I learn from this? And we have a choice here to deny the interruptions and preserve the current story about ourselves, or we embrace the interruption and expand. Liberto is right when he says that if we deny it, another interruption will come sooner or later anyway, until we surrender and grow. Of course, some people will always choose to stick with the pain of the interruption. As Liberto describes, we actually think it helps us to preserve the identity and keep things same and certain, to make the discomfort go away. You may or may not agree with this, but those in the UK listening to this have witnessed their Prime Minister Boris Johnson evicted from his office and position by his own party, not because of policy differences, but because of his own conduct and behaviour and integrity. And undoubtedly, this is a huge interruption to Boris's sense, I assume, of identity and personal sense of destiny. But we wonder, will he learn from this massive interruption, become conscious and expand in character, integrity, truth, or repeat the same mistakes in years ahead, whatever he does next. Most of us will never be Prime Minister, but when faced with such significant interruptions in our own lives that happen either to us or by us or both, like job loss or divorce or mistakes, we still have a choice to embrace it and expand, however impossible that seems. And that's number three, deny or embrace life's interruptions. So the fourth and final point I want to underline is about identity is not bad, but it just isn't fixed. This isn't about getting rid of our identities. Identity is also a good thing, seeking to preserve something that we don't want to change. In groups, families, teams or organisations we're part of, there is an essence we want to maintain and keep the same. This shift, again, is not about changing you, all the family traditions, but expanding ourselves beyond the boundaries that define what we choose to achieve. How do we bring our essence and uniqueness into our ambitions? Being curious to the new that is emerging, that is uncomfortable and full of tension. Find a freedom in the tension to explore and play. An organisation division I was working with was needing to integrate with another division. They had a strong identity and culture, one of fierce loyalty, strong service, and a belief in what they were doing. During the transformation, the integration, this identity became a hindrance due to them not wanting to change this, driven from a fear that they would lose something. So they resisted everything. Once they could see that they don't have to lose anything, but take the talents and strengths of this and evolve them into something broader that included the strong identity and that they could play a role in defining the new culture within the integration, they were off into a new realm of creativity with their new partners and colleagues. 
So as we close, looking at your week or month ahead, an important question here is, do you have a story about who you are and who you are not that stops you going for it? Do you see a possibility, an ambition that quickly gets extinguished or pushed down by an identity you've held until now? Two actions here that will help you practically move forward. Number one, pay attention this week to what you say your identity is, how you introduce yourself to others and talk about yourself. Does this help or hinder your real ambitions? If it hinders, quit saying it. Language is that powerful. Start a new story about what you're developing and growing in to achieve your ambition. Secondly, whatever your ambition is, create a a supporting commitment underneath it. What would need to be true about me in order to achieve it? Write it down. And if you had no restrictions at all, who would you be? And then consider, given this, what are the best ways for you to support yourself at this point? Maybe it's a plan of action about you as a parallel project, reviewed regularly and reviewing where are you succeeding, what is still missing, what action can you take? Or maybe it's to invite a coach or who else might you ask for help? So we want to end on a quote, this from Charlotte Bronte in Jane Eyre. I am no bird and no net ensnares me. I am a free human being with an independent will. And Wayne, I've got another one from Coco Chanel. A girl should be two things, who and what she wants. (laughs) Brilliant. (laughs) Thanks for listening today. We really are building momentum on the core mindset shifts that allow us to create bolder ambitions and challenge us to achieve more than we normally perhaps dare. So far, we have talked about unlimited possibility mindset, the power of declaring a new future, the importance of always being a learner and then playing full out rather than protecting ourselves. Of course, all these episodes are available on your podcast app under Ambition Unleashed and also available on our website too, achievebreakthrough.com, where you can reach us by email at ambition at achievebreakthrough.com with any insights, questions or topics you think we should be discussing. Next month, we have a two-part episode coming up with a wonderful lady, Jo Corbishley, who has turned something devastating in her life around to help and support others, which allows us to bring alive another important mindset shift of choosing agency, rather than blaming the circumstances you find yourself in. Until next time, Wayne, it's been a pleasure. See you again. Bye-bye.